Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Eating for hill drills is our topic today. Regular hill drills can help you be fitter, faster and stronger. Making the right nutrition choices can help prevent and limit muscle damage from these drills and also optimize your recovery. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back. I'm Aileen and I'm here once again with Karen. And as always, we're going to start um, our conversation today sharing something personal with you about our nutrition or our running uh, before we start um, chatting about our topic for today, which is all about eating the hill drills. Um, so hopefully um, nobody's feeling the need to head for the hills today uh, because we've got some interesting uh, tips to share with you. So Karen, I, I know um you know, just to stay on topic, I know that you're a regular um, hill runner and you regularly complete uh, hill training. Um, so can you share your experience of hill running and hill training? Yeah, absolutely. And hi, everybody. Um, good to be back again. Yes, you're right, Aileen. I do regularly do hill drills, um, which come in various guises, actually from uphill only to downhill only to Kenyan. And Kenyan's um, sort of running up and downhill um, and, and so on. There's lots of different varieties and variations on hill drills. And with mine, I tend to do a hill session once a week. And I would say it probably lasts about 20 to 25 minutes, really depending on um, how many repeats I need to complete in, in the um, in the set, in the session. And my running coach sets the session for me. So I just need to check the program and off I go and I just do what she tells me. It's really easy that way. Um, and I have to say, I really enjoy my hill drills and, you know, they can be hard at times and um, difficult to get out there and do them when the weather is really awful. But I think they do really test my fitness levels and help help progress my running performance overall, really. So, yeah, I do. I do. I do overall enjoy doing them I prefer that to doing the speed training I have to say but how about you Aileen do you do hill drills regularly or, or, or at all in your training 
Um, I have done in the past, um, mainly I would say when I worked with a PT sort of running coach, that really helps because like you say, they just tell you what to do and you have to do it. Um, so I'm not as structured as you when I'm out there doing things on my own. Um, there is a hill quite near me, um, which I sometimes add in. Um, it's quite steep and it's quite hard. Um, and uh, there's a, a park that I run in actually that has lots of steps and steep slopes and I remember I used to do my run training there with the PT so sometimes if I'm passing through I'll think oh Tony used to make me run it up down those steps so I'll, I'll do that um, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely not as structured as you um I quite I do think there's loads of benefits from you know putting hills into your training and especially uh you know when you are in a, a race and it does give you a lot of confidence when you pass people running uphill. I have to say that's a very nice thing to do. Um, not that I'm being competitive or anything, but it <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> running, you know, the people. I think especially when you're running against men. I, I know I've sort of thought, you know, you get these guys who look like they're superhuman, mm-hmm. and then um, and then you pass them on a hill, makes you feel good. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you pricked my conscience, so I'll have to plan a session every week uh, like you do. Yeah, yeah, and maybe sort of build up um, slowly, Aileen, if you start, you know, when first starting out. Yeah, definitely. So let's uh, let's move on now and we'll introduce our topic, which we said is all about eating for hill drills. Um, so what we're going to do is give you an overview of the effects of hill drills on muscle. We're going to outline some nutritional factors to help prevent or limit any muscle damage from hill drills and also give you some ideas about how to put the nutrition recommendations into practice. Um, so Karen, let's start. Um, could you begin by telling us a little bit about the effects hill drills have on muscle? And I'm presuming it's a positive effect if they're regularly used as part of training uh, and overall running performance? Yeah, 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 absolutely, Alien. In the long term, the hope is that by performing the hill drills regularly, it is going to help sort of strengthen the leg muscles, quicken the stride as well, and also improve VO2 max and heart rate and enhance running economy. Also protect the, the legs from DOMS, so that delayed onset muscle soreness, and also enhance um, various different metabolic and physiological adaptations to exercise as well. And there's a, there's a lot more, uh, there are a lot more benefits, but those are just, just some of them. So, yeah, really beneficial in the long term for runners, I would say, for their overall performance. Brilliant. So in a nutshell, what you're saying, Karen, is that uh, regular hill drills could help us to be fitter, faster, stronger, as our, our motto goes. Yeah, exactly. And and it is thought, actually, that as little as six weeks of hill drills, sort of doing them once a week, could um, induce some of these benefits that I've just mentioned. So that's not a huge amount. If you're just doing it once a week, um, hopefully you should start to reap the benefits in about six weeks. Yeah, and that 20 to 25 minutes that you were talking about, Karen, mm, doing yeah. us all. We just got to Absolutely. find to do it, haven't we? Yeah. Okay, well, that all sounded very positive so far. Um, so what are the potential risks from uh, performing hill drills? Yeah, well, like most things in life, it, it all comes with um, a degree of risk, doesn't it? And hill drills really are no exception. And I think 
potentially all types of hill gels carry some risk. So, for example, that risk of um, exercise-induced muscle damage. But downhill running is known to carry the most risk of, of any injury occurring. And this, this is due to the fact that it's um, it's an eccentric form of um, muscle contraction. And what I mean by eccentric contraction is that the muscle is lengthening during the contraction, which seems a bit of a contradiction in terms, if you ask me. But anyway, what's happening is at this time, the force applied to the muscle exceeds the force produced by the muscle itself in that moment. And and this is known as um, mechanical stress and causes breaking of the components of the muscle tissue that are required for the contraction. So that's actually what's occurring during eccentric contraction. Now, micro tears, as they're known, are necessary for that muscle adaptation that we speak about and are are also involved in that muscle remodeling, muscle rebuilding. But it's really when these tears are severe or become chronic that performance could begin to suffer. Mm, That's interesting. Mm. So um, just to remind everybody, we did talk about um, muscle remodeling in episode 70, so not too far away, Mm -hmm. uh, which was um, all about um, your marathon running, refueling and recovering. So if you want to learn a little bit more, um, I'd recommend that you pop back and listen to that episode. So it sounds as, as though what you're saying, Karen, is that the muscle effects of the eccentric contraction, the micro tears, may be supportive in the long term if the tears are limited. Um, but I'm wondering what's the fallout from these chronic or severe tears? Yeah, and that's really interesting, Aileen, because, you know, we're probably all aware that an injury will lead to an inflammatory response in the body. Even micro tears um, will trigger that inflammatory cascade. And this inflammatory response is is thought to be associated with um, the likes of decreased ability to generate that muscle strength that we need, that a decreased range of motion, the localized swelling that we all see with um, any sort of inflammation, DOMS as well, um, and also increased muscle protein markers in blood. So, for example, um, a molecule or a protein called creatine kinase is a sign of muscle damage, and also myoglobin, an increase of that in, um, in blood markers as well. And also, there tends to be an increase of general inflammatory markers in the blood. So, for example, example, um, one known as C-reactive protein that a lot of people might have heard. That's quite a a generalised or a general marker uh, that is a sign that there's inflammation somewhere in the body. Another one is um, tumour necrosis factor, which is known as TNF alpha or um, also nuclear factor kappa b so nfkb is the abbreviation for that and some people may because of being runners and injury may have heard of some of these um, markers that are are signs of inflammation but also there's um, when there's any injury at all there's the production of what's known as reactive oxygen species called ROS now again some people might have heard of that, and they're known to to um, damage cells in, within the body. And clearly, there's going to be pain as well wherever there's inflammation. So, 
So really to answer your question, Aileen, if this inflammatory reaction is limited and doesn't become chronic, then the runner will reap the benefits rather than than, than be suffering these deleterious symptoms that I've just mentioned. But it is worth noting here that um, really when a runner first begins hill drills, they, they will experience the fallout um, just because it, it can be associated with starting something new. Hence why I was saying to you, if you do start regular hill drills, to start slowly. Um, but if, if you train properly and nutrition is good, then hopefully the the um, downside of, of it will be limited. And as you become more experienced at hill drills, although the micro tears may still be occurring, the deleterious effects may not be felt. And that's what the hope is and that, that, that you start to reap the benefits and performance. Okay, so the idea is to limit and manage these micro tears really through efficient and, su- and sufficient recovery, mm-hmm. um, efficient training and allowing yourself to recovery, to have a good recovery um, and also optimal nutrition will support recovery from from the injury um, and in the injury in this case we're not talking about an injury that would stop you doing anything but just the natural injury that comes from doing this type of exercise um, and as I said we we talk about recovery in that episode 70 that I mentioned earlier so we're not going to go into that here um, But let's now go on and talk about the nutritional approach to help prevent or at least limit any muscle damage from hill drills. So there are many nutrients that we could talk about here to support recovery. And, um, you know, we we always like you to go back and uh, look at previous episodes. And we we dedicated an episode to this subject, um, which is episode 14, Endurance Running in the Immune System, uh, which is another episode. you know, relevant topic to what we're talking about today. So it would be good for you to listen to that. Um, but Karen, I thought today maybe we could just focus on some key nutrients that you would suggest for hill drill injury. Yeah, absolutely, Alien. And I think there are three key ones for me that kind of spring to mind and, and also have been re- re- well researched linked to this eccentric exercise and the micro tears and injury that can come from that. So the three that, um, that I think would be worth discussing are protein, uh, quercetin and curcumin. Um, so nutrients that most people will have heard of, uh, they are really often spoken about in the media and we have spoken about them in past episodes as well. So so maybe we could have a look at protein first, which um, is, again, is a nutrient that we discuss often because of its powerful influence on muscle in so many different ways, really. But when thinking about protein and linking it to the micro tears or the the chronic micro tears caused by that eccentric contraction effects of of principally the downhill running, um, but really any injury that's caused by any type of hill drills. Because because uh, if you're starting out in in hill drill sessions, it could be that you become injured um, training uphill. It's just that this eccentric contraction just is 
um, it's quite unique. Therefore, uh, you're more susceptible to injury. And really, protein is going to provide the building blocks to repair and rebuild any of the the damage that is caused to the muscle. Now, the branch chain amino acids, so just as a reminder, they're leucine, isoleucine and valine, are going to be especially important here is they're really the most efficient at triggering that muscle protein synthesis cascade. And, and the reason that the branch chain amino acids are the most efficient is because they are metabolized directly in muscle. You know, most nutrients and compounds, they pass through the liver as part of that met- uh, metabolization process. However, the branch chain amino acids bypass the liver and go directly to the muscle, therefore are much more, more efficient at getting to work, so to speak. Yeah, and, and although um, all of the branch chain amino acids are really important for that muscle protein synthesis, Karen, um, leucine is the one that's known to be the master trigger of the rebuilding process. Yeah. Um, so, I've, and again, we've mentioned that in the past, so I'm sure people will remember that. Um, and as well as the muscle protein synthesis, protein intake following an injury is known to decrease the perception of pain caused by the injury. Um, and it's also been suggested that uh, to reduce the perception of pain by approximately 30%, which is quite significant. Mm -hmm. Um, So it would appear that an intake of protein with added branched-chain amino acid supplementation um, would have the, the most benefit. Yeah, I would agree with that, Aileen. In fact, there there was a piece of um, research that I was reading, and it was suggesting that by um, consuming around 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight of protein per day, plus four doses of 7.3 grams of branched-chain amino acids per day, resulted in um, significantly less pain or less soreness 72 hours after that eccentric exercise so that's for for the for us as we're getting older that's when the the doms pain can start to set in so that this could sort of counteract some of that doms pain um, as well as any pain from injury now the mechanism of action by which the branch chain amino acids um, are reducing that perception of muscle pain isn't completely understood however there is one theory um that uh, what's occurring is that the metabolization of some of these amino acids may lead to glutamate uh, production, which in turn results in glutamine synthesis. And glutamine is is another amino acid, but it's not an essential one, so the body can synthesize it itself. Now, glutamine is known to suppress um, pro-inflammatory pathways, um, therefore could reduce the levels of the circulating um, pro-inflammatory molecules, such as the ones I was speaking about earlier, so that TNF-R Alpha and the um, C-reactive protein and things. So, you know, but like I say, this is just one theory and it still needs to be substantiated as so many things do in research. But it is, you know, it's a plausible theory there. Yeah, that sounds really good. So, Karen, let's move on from protein and have a look at uh, curcumin and how that might support a runner, uh, particularly someone who may have suffered an injury whilst carrying out hill training. Um, so I think most people will be aware of curcumin and, and it's known as a phytonutrient and the principal natural 
bioactive one that's found in turmeric. So turmeric is the food um, which people might have heard of. Um, and just to refresh everyone's memories, uh, phytonutrients or phytochemicals, as, as they're sometimes known, um, the phyto is coming from the Greek word for plant, uh, and they're they're chemical comp- compounds produced by plants, um, and they generally help them resist um, infections from fungi, bacteria, and plant virus infections, um, and they're known to be health-promoting in humans. Um, so thinking about the phytonutrient curcumin, Karen, um, how can that support a hill runner? Well, curcumin is thought to um, support the response to exercise-induced muscle injury in several different ways, actually, including reducing the individual's perception of the intensity of pain. Now, that's going to be different for everyone, hence it's the individual's perception. Um, It's also thought to help in reducing muscle damage by decreasing the presence of the creatine um, kinase that I was speaking about earlier. It also contains anti-inflammatory properties and um, and it's it's also uh, an anti, it also has sort of antioxidant effects as well. And and finally, it's also known to um, have membrane, so cell membrane protective properties as well so you know quite a lot of different ways in which it can support uh, a muscle injury so if we were to take a look at um, the anti-inflammatory effects um, because clearly after an injury reducing that inflammation is one of the key aspects of healing but on saying that, um, it, it, we, we do have to remember that inflammation is a natural response to injury because it's needed to protect that injured tissue so that healing can occur. So it's really important to allow that inflammatory response to occur. It's just we don't want it to be prolonged. So, um, so, so thinking about that, the timing of taking any supplements um, and supplemental supplemental uh, nutrient support would be really important. But anyway, thinking about the anti-inflammatory effects of curcumin, they are known to be due to its ability to block the activity of um, certain of the pro-inflammatory molecules that I mentioned earlier, the TNF-alpha and the NF-kappa-B. So um, so that's one of the theories on, on how it works. And another anti-inflammatory attributive of curcumin is its ability to block the um, inflammatory pathway created by the ROS, so the the reactive oxygen species that I mentioned earlier as well. Now, you may have heard of ROS under another name because they are quite often called free radicals. And I think people speak more about free radicals than reactive oxygen species. And these basically are unstable molecules that react with other molecules in in, in the cells of the body, potentially leading to cell damage and in some cases cell death. So it is important that that they are limited Wow, so curcumin is definitely a powerful compound and uh, and as you say, it's known to support the immune system in so many different ways. Um, So Karen, thinking about curcumin, is there a recommended dose for recovery from this exercise-induced muscle damage that you've been talking about? Yeah, well, interesting. Various studies have utilised 
dosages in various forms. So from as little as 150 milligrams up to 6,000 milligrams per day. So that's really, really varied, vast differences there. But um, I think what's worth bearing in mind is that the European Food Safety Authority only permits a maximum daily intake of um, three milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So that's so so in formulations. I don't know how that works out regarding formulations, but that's what um, their their recommendations are and um, their permission. So, like I say, how that how that then translates into supplement form i I, i'm not 100 percent sure but so so if we were to um take a female runner weighing 60 kilograms that would work out at 180 milligrams that um they would they would be permitted to take um under the 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 european food safety authorities um allowances so within the range of levels of curcumin studied but really at the lower end so what I would say here is that um, what I noted was that the higher ranges, so that 5,000 milligrams to 6,000 milligrams, were when natural curcumin sources were used in, in, in the studies. And then the lower ranges, so between 150 milligrams up to 1,500 milligrams per day, they were using um, supplement formulas with um, improved bioavailability. So th- th- there were differences there. So naturally, the higher doses of curcumin would be required to achieve the similar bioavailability that was being achieved by the by the ones that um, had had been been um, formulated in some way to have that improved availability bioavailability. Wow, it's really interesting, isn't it, to think mm. about it in food form and also in supplement form and, and what's what's suggested to mm. be the right thing. So I suppose, you know, if you would, um, you could think, how can I get around the EU, EU legislation? And in that case, you would need to purchase the curcumin in the improved viability format, uh, mm. which you probably would do anyway. Uh, yeah. You know, if you were choosing a supplement, you'd want to get the best um, therapeutic dose, wouldn't you? Exactly. Um, okay. So, so just um, one more thing to mention about curcumin supplementation. It's been shown that high doses of, of curcumin could lead to reduced iron levels because curcumin binds iron and makes it inactive. Now, we've talked about this again, Karen. I'm sure people mm-hmm. will remember um, Many runners, especially female runners, are susceptible to low iron status uh, for many reasons. So I think if that is something that you're concerned about, you really need to take into consideration uh, whether to supplement with curcumin or not, because it it might um, cause you to have uh, a depletion in in iron. Yeah. So that's a bit of a concern. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good point. And and again, if a runner was vegetarian or, or vegan, um, again, the pros and cons of curcumin supplementation would, would definitely need to be weighed up before sort of engaging in that in that type of protocol and taking the supplements. Okay, so thanks for that. That's a really good end note there on curcumin. So let's now um move on and have a look at quercetin, which is also a phytonutrient that's found in, in lots of different plant foods. 
and um and and it's known to exert a variety of bioactive effects again due to predominantly its anti-inflammatory and antioxidant um properties but regarding its effects following sort of any exercise induced uh, muscle damage um the research suggests that it it could um reduce symptoms of discomfort it could reduce the extent of strength loss um it could also reduce the severity of the muscle, the loss of muscle contraction force and that muscle contraction velocity and help promote cell membrane stability as well. So lots of different ways it, it, it could support um, within, with injury or repair from injury. Okay, so, so it's another good plant food nutrient and it potentially has some powerful effects on our health. Um, so, so, Karen, regarding quercetin's antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties, um, do the studies that you've read suggest how it exerts those effects? And, and we know that quercetin is a, is a, is a really potent um, free radical scavenger. So would it support health and recovery in that respect? And um, are there any other theories that are linked to the effects of this exercise-induced uh, muscle damage? Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. So quercetin's ability to um, pass across the cell membrane um, and and scavenge these free radicals, like you were saying, sort of it, it is really good at doing that. It gets into the cell, it scavenges the, the free radicals, um, therefore is is helping support the um the cell, that cell stability, that cell um membrane stability. And that is one of its principal mechanisms of action. And this scavenging action is thought to be what helps like I say to, to support the cell membrane its strength its stability um, its its um, functioning as well but in, in addition to its scavenging ability quercetin is also thought to be able to um, diminish exercise induced um, sort of oxidative stress and and decrease the inflammatory factors again thinking about those inflammatory factors that that we mentioned earlier so that do that does seem to be different sort of mechanisms of action of, of quercetin. Right. So from what you said, Karen, that quercetin could pro- possibly be used as a preventative measure in muscular health as well as a, a recovery measure. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's a really good point. I think that um, and probably turmeric as well, they could both be used um, to, 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 to help prevent um, some of these um, injuries occurring as well as, as, as sort of supporting the healing afterwards. So just before we move on again, Aileen, um, I just wanted to mention a little bit about um, supplementation of quercetin. Now, its absorption from the the digestive tract is fairly rapid. In fact, an, an intake of between sort of 250 milligrams and five. 500 milligrams can be sort of found in blood plasma within 15 to 30 minutes following actually ingestion of it. So that's quite rapid, really. Um, but on saying that, it's, it reaches its peak um, around 120 to 180 minutes following ingestion, which is still fairly, fairly quick. Um, 
but although it peaks at around 180 minute, minutes, it does actually stay in the system for up to 24 hours. So it will still be exerting a certain amount of its positive effects for that length of time. So quite long lasting effects. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm. Mm. Okay, so it's really great to talk about the supplementation, and I'm sure we'll um, speak a little bit about that later on um, when we were in the putting it into action part of the the episode. Um, but just before we do that, Karen, I'm just wondering: are there any female factors that we need to consider regarding this subject? Yeah, there are a couple actually, Aileen. And, um, you know, we've already mentioned the the fact that female runners are at increased risk of iron deficiency. And as curcumin at high doses is known to bind to iron, this would definitely need to be considered when contemplating taking a a curcumin supplement. Um, And I think also just as a reminder that we as females are more susceptible to injury than men. That's what the research says especially that lower limb injury. So this needs to be considered, I think, again, when you're you're looking at starting out on hill drill training. Um, and, and as I said to you personally, Aileen, I think it is really important to start slowly and build up just to minimise the risk of that non what, what's classed as non-functional muscle injury. And what I mean by that non-functional um Injury is because micro tears will naturally occur, like we said, and this is part of the functional remodeling of the muscle. But when the micro tears are chronic or that it becomes a bit of a more severe injury, that's then when it would be classed as non-functional. And that's what we want to be trying to minimize or avoid is this non-functional muscle injury. And then just the third thing I think I would just mention here under the female factors is that the the fluctuation in female hormones during the menstrual cycle may also put women at increased risk of injury. So maybe thinking about your planning um, and when you're going to do your hill drills um, and just considering that around, around the menstrual cycle so that you're not again, putting yourself potentially at increased risk. So those would be the the three that spring to mind daily. Yeah, well, that's that's really interesting advice there, Karen, particularly about planning when to do hill drills and managing it around your menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. What about that? So that's that's a good one to uh, to remember. Okay. Yeah. So thanks, Karen. We've we've just um, just have a quick roundup. So we've we've spoken about three different nutrients that are known to support the effects of exercise-induced muscle damage, so protein, curcumin, and quercetin. Um, Some of their health properties are unique, while some of them overlap, which probably people have picked up with when Mm. they're listening there. Um, So particularly thinking about quercetin and curcumin's anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties. So um, it's always good to see how things work together and uh, how they Mm. complement one another. Absolutely. And and as we also discussed, um, that, that protein clearly is the principal driver of the muscle protein synthesis for the muscle repair and recovery, as well as the, the muscle remodeling. So it's it's a really powerful nutrient here. So Aileen, just before we move on, I think maybe it's time for a little advert break. So um, I'm going to hand back to you now. Okay, thanks, Karen. Um, so this is part of the episode where Karen and I take a minute to share with you what we do outside of the podcast. 
So um, Karen and I are just like you. We're busy working women. We work we run for health, for fitness, achievement, and fun. Um, and, but over the years, we've had our own personal running performance struggles, and, and you know they come and go uh, as long as we run. Um, but however, we we've resolved those struggles um, with a foundational everyday eating plan, and we fine tune that healthy eating plan with sports nutritional principles, and that helps us maximize our running performance and minimize injury which is very crucial and um, and we do that um, through our uh, food plans which are part of the easy nutrition for healthy runners online program and that's a program that's available to you if uh, if you're interested so it's a, a short and sweet video program and you can in, complete it in 30 minutes a day over two weeks or you can take as long as you need to uh, we have some clients who finish it in the two-week uh, period and then they'll go back and redo it again and again so that they can get everything in place that they need. Um, so if you've been listening today and you think you'd like to know a bit more about how to apply everyday nutrition alongside sports specific nutrition, we think this program is a great place to start. It'll give you information and lots of easy ac action steps too. So if it's of interest, um, look at our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. Look at the top menu bar, you'll find uh, a link to the online program. And if you've got any questions, please feel free to email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com. Excellent. Thank you very much, Aileen. So now let's move on and think about how you could put all this information into action. And especially, I think, if you're if you're thinking about including hill drills in your plan, so it's quite new to you, or maybe you're experiencing some chronic effects from repeated hill drills now. So this might all be quite helpful and and how you can utilize the information. So the first thing I would say, and actually it's not the it's not the first time time I've said it, um, it's about taking it slowly. And I think it, it, it I can't emphasize that enough is when starting out anything new and any form of exercise is really to take it slowly and build up. Because I think it is really easy to say I could do this or I'm fit. I've been running for a long time, so it shouldn't be a problem. And I know that I do fall into that that way of thinking sometimes, and it doesn't always end well. Um, Aileen, I'm just wondering, do you ever do the same or are, are you more cautious and protective around your running? Um, well, yeah, I am quite cautious, but I think I've learned from previous experience. Um, you know, if I think about any of the injuries I've had, often it's a result of me not being in a fully conditioned state when I've, mm. when I've done something. And, um, you know, that can lead to a silly, unnecessary injury and, and it may lead to weeks of physio and, and sometimes, you know, a rest from running. So, you know, I've learned from experience and I guess mm. I'm probably a bit more risk averse, particularly, I think, you know, particularly after the winter, you know, because you don't, I tend to not run as much during the winter and then I get all excited in the springtime and that's mm. often when, you know, things can happen if I've not looked after myself in the right way. Um, and I really think to be a strong, healthy runner, um, especially as, as I get older, I need to do supportive exercise as well as running. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I do things all year round now, but I, I really suggest asking advice from your drip, from your gym or from a PT before you start doing anything new like hill drills would really be a good idea. Uh, and also to consider what restorative exercise you do after a hill drill session might be helpful yeah. too. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, that would be my take. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point, Aileen, about that restorative exercise after a hill drill session or really any running session. And I've just started doing um, yoga for runners online. And if anybody's interested in that, I can give you the details um, of this lady. And, and I have to say, I, I'm finding it really, really supportive uh, because it, it because it is so specific to runners. And she really sort of delves into the areas that um, where we most feel the the or the areas that most need or needs most stretching um and and i found it really powerful so but something else i think that people could consider especially if you're unsure about um how to to introduce hill drills is maybe linking up with a running coach it doesn't need to be long term but just for a period of time and um and again, there we can give you some recommendations if you would like them. And the coaches that we know uh, work online um, with their clients. So it doesn't matter where you live, really. So if you're if you are interested in any of this information, you know, do contact us via the website or um, the Facebook group. Or you could just drop us an email at hello at runnershealthhub.com and we'll forward any details for you. So, um, so yeah, I think linking up with some professionals can be beneficial yeah definitely um and i think another thing just to add here about training is to make sure that you have sufficient recovery time between mm-hmm. bouts of hill drills or, or any bout of training really you know you've, you've got to uh, factor in recovery time mm-hmm. um, so karen uh, let's move on to nutrition now um is there anything practical that you would suggest around um protein intake yeah, well, the first thing I would say about protein is that it is, it's really important to be ensuring that you're having a protein daily um, outside of your trainers, training as well as, as around your training. And, and I would recommend an average of about 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight um, per day, especially if you are a, a regular runner. Now, this is is higher um, a higher level besides the the recommended uh, daily uh, allowance for the general general population, which is currently at not point eight grams per kilogram of body weight per day. So um, just so so for runners, it is really about considering your your needs um, and your muscle needs. And also the other thing I would say about protein is to ensure that you spread its intake throughout the day rather than having a, a really large portion at one meal time and um and again if you if you are uh, menopausal as well if you're a menopausal woman then you you might need to have an increased level of protein again but th- but there it would be um, helpful maybe to to speak to a professional to get guidance on that um but if you are um experiencing the effects of hill drills then again that's another time where uh, an increased intake might be necessary and 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 also at that time thinking specifically about your branch chain amino um, acid in take especially that leucine that you were speaking about earlier alien okay so would this be an instance karen where you might want to have a, a protein snack after that training session yes uh, yes because um 
Yeah, because you're you're not doing an endurance ev- um, training uh, session there. Therefore, the, the limit it's more limited loss of glycogen stores. So you could have a, a protein powder or a protein source, still having some carbohydrate with it. But yes, and introducing a, a protein um, source up straight after your training would be good here. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Karen. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we're always talking about food first. Um, so we'd want uh, people to in, increase their protein intake through food predominantly. Um, and, you know, Karen, you mentioned earlier the branch chain amino acids. So there are certain foods that have got high levels of branch chain amino acids that um, would be helpful for people to consider. Um, and so to give you some ideas of the food, particularly high leucine, um, so their meat, dairy products, fish, particularly tuna and cod, um, cottage cheese, lentils, peanuts and almonds. And then, of course, there's the uh, whey protein powder. Um, so lots of choice. And uh, I'm sure, you know, if you have a varied diet, you can include lots of different sources of protein. Um, but what about curcumin and quercetin? Um, what recommendations would you have there, Karen? Well, again, I think my my first piece of advice would be around the timing of the supplement intake um, if you're if you're considering supplements. Um, And I think it would be here, it would be really important to delay supplement intake and not have it immediately after exercise. Now, this is because, you know, our body is very clever um, and we know that exercise is a natural stressor on the body. So that results in the production of these oxidants, which the antioxidants um, or, the, uh, other, or, or the other word being the free radicals that we speak about. And as a result of that, um, the the body produces its own antioxidants oxidants to counteract that potential damage caused by the oxidants. So what research suggests that um, if you are taking antioxidant supplements, that you don't administer them immediately after exercise, because by doing that, you could suppress the body's ability to produce its own antioxidants. So, and you don't want to do that, you know, that's all part of adaptation and it's a it's encouraging the body to to be able to to take care of itself. But it could be that for various reasons that the oxidant production is outweighing the body's ability to produce enough antioxidants. So it could be that that taking on board the supplements maybe I don't know, two hours afterwards is, is what you need, but not that immediate, um, immediately after the exercise. I, I, I hope, I hope I haven't confused everybody. I hope that that makes sense. Oh, no, that, that does make sense, Karen. And um, so what you really, you're saying it's okay to take antioxidant supplements, but you have to consider the timing of when you're taking them. And, um, you started to say something there about the timing. So, so what is the recommended and optimal time of supplement intake of these um, supplements? Yeah, actually, well, one piece of, of liter- literature that I was reading was suggesting that sort of following any muscle injury, um, antioxidant supplementation should be introduced around three days following the injury. Um, but But really, I suppose if you were considering using them 
as a potential preventative measure, like we were saying earlier, I would suggest taking them, like I was saying, at least two hours, um, either before or after exercise, but not immediately before or afterwards. And um, and of course, an, another preventative measure really is to ensure that that you're consuming a variety of different fruits and vegetables daily because they um, are abundant in in antioxidants and anti-inflammatory properties. So so that's really what we would suggest is that key preventative measure is just making sure that your everyday diet is is um is optimal yeah and uh, that falls into the food first before supplements doesn't it so exactly you know having that as part of your everyday optimal diet um is something that we we talk about a lot Mm -hmm. um and the aim really with when it comes to fruit and vegetables is to really focus on your vegetables up to nine portions a day and aim for no more than two pieces of fruit a day um, and, and all the colours of the rainbow too will really help uh, give, give you the variety of phytonutrients that you require. So Karen, just we're sort of coming towards the end of the episode um, but I, I wondered if you could give our listeners one action point to get them started what would you suggest Mm. so one action point I would say um maybe doing something around protein intake because it is really key to the the muscle repair and the remodeling and the recovery so maybe what I would suggest would be think about working out your own daily protein needs, uh, thinking about that 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. So um, what is your weight? And then uh, calculating that um, by 1.2 grams. And then after you've done that, just ensuring that you're eating that amount on a daily basis. So so if we were to, to take, for example, somebody weighed 55 kilograms, that would be 55 times 1.2, which equals 66 grams of protein per day. And then um, and then sort of working, working it out so that you're taking that amount in on a daily basis. Great. That's a good action point, Karen. I think we could all do with um, just checking in and seeing what our protein um, consumption is is like and uh, you know I think to start with it might mean that um, people have to read the labels on food packaging initially just to determine what the protein content of the food is but I think once you've done that a few times you get to know how much roughly is in say a portion of fish or chicken or lentils and then um, you know it makes it a lot easier if you know that you, you're hitting around about the, the right target um, so a great action point. Thank you, Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, we've talked about some practical ideas for supporting your hill drills nutritionally, um, either using supplements or food. Um, but it's time for us to round up, Karen. Um, so I wondered if you would finalise by giving us your key takeaways from this episode. Yeah, of course, Aileen. So my first um key takeaway would be uh, that regular hill drill sessions can help improve performance in the long term. So just bear that in mind. And um, it helps it helps performance in different ways, including strengthening of leg muscles, improving VO2 max and heart rate and much, much more. But hill drills do carry um 
some risk and could lead to some exercise induced muscle damage. Downhill running carrying the most risk due to that eccentric nature of the muscle contraction. And um, and these hill drills lead to sort of the micro tears of muscle tissue. Um, and these are necessary. Just remember that they are necessary for muscle adaptation um, and are also involved in muscle remodeling. But it's when the tears are severe or become chronic that running performance may suffer. And there are three well-researched nutrients that could support recovery from any energy-induced muscle damage caused by your hail drills. And they are protein, quercetin and curcumin. Now, protein is the one that provides the building blocks, so those amino acids to repair and rebuild muscle, the branch chain amino acids being um, especially important as they are the most efficient at triggering that muscle protein synthesis cascade. And just thinking about the curcumin and quercetin, remember they're phytonutrients that are known to contain potent antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties, which are known to support the recovery from injury. And food comes first, as our motto goes. So do ensure you are having an optimal um, daily intake of all these nutrients through your diet throughout the year. And the timing of food and supplements um, is also important to help maximise the healing effects of them, whilst also minimising any potential detrimental effects of of the nutrients. And I'm thinking here of the the antioxidants potentially diminishing the the endogenous production uh, of antioxidants, so the body producing it itself. Remember, curcumin could lead to reduced iron levels because it binds to iron, rendering iron inactive. So supplementation might not be suitable for every runner. And finally, to help limit um, any of the deleterious effects of of hill drills, start slowly and build up. And maybe working with a running coach for a period of time um, could be what is what is required. And that would be it, Aileen. Thank you, Karen. That's great. So wonderful insights into nutrition to support the muscular efforts um, effects of hill drills. Um, I really hope that you enjoy putting our practical suggestions into place. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. 
They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Active Wear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Active Wear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.